Hey guys, I'm super excited to present to you today and to have on the show um, Brandy Agabek from Loosetooth.com. Brandy is a good friend of mine and um, she's a graphic recorder, graphic facilitator with more than 20 years experience and she's also an author and in the process of publishing her second book on Books on Demand and has a Kickstarter campaign running on that. I'm really excited to talk about that. And for me, when I think about Brandy, one thing that really sticks out, she's an advocate to give people permission to draw and to use, to rediscover um, drawing as a thinking tool and to come up with a meaningful but maybe messy drawing. If you would like to learn what a sneezy green person is, then I recommend to stay on the show and listen to this episode of the Big Hubble Radio with Brandy Agerbeck from loosetooth.com. Brandy, thank you very much for joining in. You're very welcome. Thanks. Um, Brandy, I think we met first time in Berlin. Is this correct? Mm -hmm. Like with the IFVP conference? Yeah, I, I, yes. And I know, like when I when I walked down the street and I had a couple of people in mind I wanted to meet because I've never been before to an international um, visual facilitator conference and I and, uh, was uh, walking down and said, oh my God, there's Brandy. I know their videos. <laughs> <laughs> so I was stunned when I, when I saw you and then we uh, chatted, I think, for a walk of an hour or like walking down the streets in Berlin. Yeah. And that yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause I, you know, I, my, my, I use pictures of myself in my books and, uh, I've got the video and it's always funny when somebody then sees me in three dimensions, <laughs> <laughs> I am a real human being. <laughs> and not this cartoon that I have right no, now here exactly <laughs> on Skype. <laughs> exactly. Right. Cool. And, um, then we met again in, in Hamburg and you gave yep. an awesome talk there at a Thank company, you. um, called Zing. And, um, that was absolute great. And you, you, you know what, Brandy, you actually introduced me to Airbnb. Oh, and nice. Since then I've used it. <laughs> Excellent. And thanks for helping me get back to my apartment that night. Yes, that was really cool. <laughs> Only because I didn't know Hamburg, not because I was, you know, tipsy yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I lived like six years in Hamburg, so it was a very, very great thing to do. Nice. Like, Brandy, when we when we look a bit back, like when we think of who, uh, how how have you started in your your career as a graphic facilitator? Could you give us a bit of background, like for people who maybe want like go down a similar path of um, learning to draw and use the skill? Like, like how many years? I think you have almost twenty years experience. How have you started? Exactly. Um, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll give you a little bit, little shorter version of it. Um, I was the kid who drew all the time. So, you know, as a kid, as long as I had paper and pens, I was a-okay. Um, when I went off to college, my first semester, we had a class called a tutorial and we were taught to, uh, research and speak and write. And at the end of that semester, we each had to give a long speech. And I consider the seed of, my graphic facilitation career being planted the night before I had to give that big speech. Um, the class was on utopian literature and we actually had to create our own utopia and present it to the present it to the class. And the night before my presentation, I pictured my talk 
And um, it was just sort of, you know, the way I was wired, you know, always been a visual person. And the next morning, I gave this speech and I drew out my speech at the same time, which, you know, if you've done this kind of work, it's very hard to switch channels between drawing at a board with your back away from the class and then facing the class and talking. But that was just sort of what naturally felt right, you know, the right way for me to express my ideas. So um, I did end up being an art major to no one's surprise. <laughs> and, uh, um, right. and yeah. And then when I got out of school, um, I was, you know, just doing kind of the normal, you know, cruddy first job out of college. And one of my classmates said, you know, Hey, I've got this job for you. And it was working as a contractor for Ernst and Young, the management consulting company, um, which is now Capgemini. Um, but this is back in 1996. And she said, you know, there's just something about this place that, you know, seems like you. So, you know, I'm 22. I don't know which, which end is up. And um, I walk into this office and I'm in this environment that's completely set up for uh, workshops. And I'm interviewing with the gentleman there and he asks, or I think I said I could draw and he just lights up and he points across the space to somebody who is drawing at a giant whiteboard in front of a group of people. And he said, Hey, do you think you could do that? And uh, because right. it connected, yeah, because it connected to that one experience in college and um, because I was too young to be scared, <laughs> I said, of course I can. So that was the beginning of my career, which uh, for a lot of folks, it's very odd to start out this young. Um, I think a lot of people who come to working with in visual facilitation, you know, they come from other backgrounds and it's often a mid-career change. But for me, I really just kind of stumbled into it right out of school. And what I really am so grateful for is that um, after that interview, I showed up for the first contract I worked. And it was um, Ernst & Young was running change management workshops, but they were using a process from a company called MG Taylor. So that was sort of the intellectual property and facilitation process that um, Ernst & Young used with their clients. And day one, they said, you're all facilitators. So whatever your role is helping this workshop happen for the next three days, every one of you is a facilitator and all these little details matter in how well these folks can do their work over the next three days of this workshop. So that's how I was introduced to graphic facilitation, found out that there was like a name for what the heck I like to do and the way my brain worked. And um, again, very grateful that um, my start in the work was contracting with with that office for three years and learning that process from MG Taylor and really being grounded in facilitation. Like Andy, um, MG Taylor method, like I, I stumbled into that uh, in the, in the, in a not similar way. I got introduced. Can you, can you do that as well? And um, should we give a bit of like one, two sentence background of what the MG Taylor method is there? Um, sure. So, um, if I if I'm right, this is this is related to like design thinking or like can you can you explain a bit us of of what MG Taylor is about? Sure. Um, so MG Taylor stands for Matt and Gail Taylor, and Matt is an architect, and Gail um, originally was a Montessori school teacher. And what they were interested in, and it wasn't just Matt and Gail; they had this great group of people where they developed a process to help people learn from each other and work together. And what was unique was um, what they designed was a facilitation process for a three-day workshop 
where people would come out of these three day three days saying that they got six months of work done. And the idea was that each day had a function. The first day was scanning. Um, so you're sort of scanning the environment, looking at all these um, all these sort of metaphors that might inform the problem you're coming to solve. Uh, the second day was focus. A lot of that was prototyping and testing the ideas. And then the third day was called act. And that's the day they really kind of rolled up their sleeves and did the work and um, would work in parallel to make all these decisions and get all this work done by the end of those three days. So that's like, that's a super broad overview. Um, but again, in that, in that environment, there were all these different roles. So our role was called a knowledge worker. Um, you might be working as the graphic facilitator for those three days. You might be writing the assignments for the group. You might be setting up the environment. Um, so there are a lot of different roles, but all of us were there to help make the work of that group easier. So it truly was to facilitate, to make easy. And that was like day one, first thing we heard. So, you know, I'm very thankful that... Um, that, you know, that three-day process was the first process I learned, but, you know, any kind of facilitator I work with or any kind of client I work with, I'm always picking up different kind of processes um, that they use to help get their work done. Yeah. Um, like it's, when I, when I, when I um, um, had a chat with, or I actually worked with one, um, for a couple of days with A and Z here, and, in, and they used the MG Taylor method as well. And I was surprised with the level of perfection they put into the um, experience for the people. So there yeah. was actually, we, we go, went so far with um, where should the whiteboard markers be ready to use for, <laughs> you know, for the people. I, and it's, <laughs> I, was I was going to use that as the example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's the kind of the that's kind of the you know what what you you and I have both experienced was when you went into the space there was a marker tray that attached to the walls which were magnetic and there was a very specific way to set up the cool the the warm colors on the left and the right colors on the the light uh, cool colors on the right and the red was on top the blue was on top and the black was in the back and it was one of those things that people would be like are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> that was exactly but, my thought. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, I know. And but the the idea is that. If you are consistent in that small detail, then the participant, when they then need to grab a marker to write something down, they always know that they can go to the exact same spot for that exact same color. And again, it's that teeny, teeny, tiny detail, but that detail of those, of that being consistent and set up, you know, set up with the right markers in the right spots consistently really is like that, that just makes it just that much easier for them to then grab the marker and go versus, you know, them being on a cup on the table in one place or them being disorganized or, you know, so again, I know that seems like an incredibly fussy little detail, but <laughs> that it helps. It's yeah. all those little details that come together to make an environment that really helps people do great work. Yes. And you basically uh, show respect and appreciate their the time with that. I, I'm, yes. I was stunned with that. And then your description is 100% of my experience. So we talked about the same warm and cold colors. So that's yeah, exactly. Really, so that, that, there's, <laughs> there's a really philosophy behind. Yeah. Um, after that, you, you, like you're, you started, you learned your ground on, on, on that, your basics. But what happened then? Like you, you just said, okay, I do it alone or... How does it, how did it went on? Um, so yeah, basically I contracted with Ernst and Young for three years. And in my case, that meant a, about a workshop a month, roughly. Um, and what I really appreciated was I got the sense of 
all the different scenarios that visual facilitation helps with. We had um, clients from all sorts of different industries solving all sorts of different problems. Um, and basically, you know, as much as the MG Taylor process is fantastic, it is also incredibly intense. And at least back then, we were working these, you know, insanely long days, and I just burnt out. So after three years, I'm like, enough. <laughs> and I had uh, definitely done a lot of work to not only do my role, but train other folks in graphic facilitation as well. And um, and then I went out on my own. And I can tell you that this is back in 99. And it was, it's really wonderful to see how much how more receptive people are to to this kind of work of visual facilitation. Um, definitely back then and back in 99, um, our culture wasn't quite as visual as it is becoming and continues to, you know, become more and more visual. So back then, you know, I, I tried to describe what I do, you know, and you just get people sort of blinking at you like, really? You do that? <laughs> so I think part of it was, yeah, exactly. They pay you, what? Um and so I think, you know, part of the equation was that um, culture was less visual, people were less receptive to it. Part of it was I was just younger and hadn't quite figured out how the heck to describe the work. Um, so then I, I did a variety of different um, services. So mostly small business folks, I do uh, logo design and web design and print design, and also do the graphic facilitation. Uh, the trick was, again, you know, it's, it's, I was, uh, a few years ago, I spoke, um, the opening at the IFVP conference in New York. And I like to describe this as the Johnny Appleseed approach. And here in America, we've got this, this, this folkloric figure of Jan Johnny Appleseed who went, walked across America planting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of, um, apple trees just by, you know, planting a single seed wherever he went. And so, you know, with the work and marketing this work, because it's so specialized and still many, 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 many people haven't experienced it yet. It was a matter of, you know, getting out there. And if somebody asks what the heck you do, answering <laughs> and planting that seed and being okay with the fact that, you know, a lot of people are going to look at you like you're, you know, you just made it up. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 it exists. I do it. It's real. Um, but um, feeling comfortable with, with just being able, you know, just planting that each seed, explaining it over and over again. Um, so then, over time, this was the work that, you know, I loved the most and that I was most uniquely qualified to do. And the other kinds of work fell away. And, um, you know, so like, like we said, I'm, I'm on the cusp of 20 years of doing this work and, and absolutely love it. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And um, so when you, when you look like, you, when you, you look at your website, you have, um, like, you look at, the graphic facilitation side, which is like the 20 years background, but you also um, then um, have the author part where you, you write currently a book. Like, how does mm -hmm. this uh, transition then came that you, you started writing books? Like, Great question. Um, so one shift, there were two different shifts that happened about three or four years ago. Um, the first shift was that I'd been doing the work for quite a long time and I was seeing the field growing. And I think there is an, an absolutely enormous amount of opportunity to do this work. Again, our culture is getting more visual. People are getting more adept at watching videos, looking at images, creating images. Um, so I think that, you know, that that's one positive trend. The other positive trend 
um, is that our worlds are get our world is getting more and more complex. There's more and more sources of information coming at us, and visuals are one of the best tools to handle that kind of complexity. So if you think about the fact that generally speaking, our cultures tend to be very text-based, very linear, very auditory. If you think about how we learned in school and how most workplaces work, or even, you know, the meetings we're in tend to lean towards people talking with each other. And um, there's definitely some positives about that, but there's also sort of the sense of it's ephemeral. You know, folks talk and you're only sort of hearing things through your own filter and, um a lot of that conversation gets lost. So the visual facilitation is such a great complement to make those conversations tangible. So what I was running into was a lot more people entering the work. And most of those folks were excited about the medium, but they didn't have the grounding in the facilitation that I was so lucky to get early on. So the first transition for me was just wanting to get content out there about graphic facilitation itself. Um, you know, the idea was there's a lot of folks doing work and a lot of folks honestly not doing the work very rigorously or very well. Um, because sort of the, you know, the worst case scenario is somebody thinks, oh, I've got a roll of paper and markers and I can do the work. But it's so much more than that. And it's so much more about the people and the process in the room than it is about the product that you're creating. So the first transition was to do more work about graphic facilitation, to create the, to write the graphic facilitator's guide and help and also launched the lab, which is my three-day class. Um, so that was about teaching folks to do graphic facilitation, to be the one person in the room drawing for the group of people. And now the second transition I'm working on is how to teach everyone to use drawing as their best thinking tool. So um, I'm now currently in the thick of my second book, which is called The Idea Shapers, The Power of Putting Your Thinking in Your Own Hands. So it's really dissecting visual thinking into very concrete concepts that are learnable and usable. So again, as much as I absolutely love doing the work of being the one person in the room, I'm super, super excited about the idea of teaching more and more folks to pick up these skills for themselves. Let me try to to summarize what I uh, so the first book where yep. you 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 went into the field and teach basically the missing part from um, that was in your uh, for you around there was the facilitation technique. So it was not focused like so much on the um, um, that everyone draws or so. It's, it's more like that everyone um, gets a bit of the background what is behind graphic facilitation um, and and learn more the the um, this is a whole. Um, um, experience for the people and the people are the, the important thing and it's not so much about the drawing and the product you create there is this correct uh yeah it's definitely more um um it's it's looking at graphic facilitation you know one of the big things i say is it's it's process over product um and again it's the idea that you know people are doing work in that room and how are you supporting them with the visuals um you know when i when folks hire me i tell them you know only a fraction of what you're hiring me for is getting that physical object afterwards much more of the value of the work is seeing your conversation take shape in front of you so you know the first book was specifically about the role of being that one person being the graphic facilitator but again trying to make sure that they really understood what the process side of it was not just you know, the drawing side of it, like the the subtitle of the book is how to use your listening, thinking and drawing skills to make meaning. And I think a lot of times in this field, people get really excited about the drawing, that's the output. But I wanted to make more transparent and make people more aware of 
that where the fact that listening and organizing and thinking through what you're hearing are equally important to the drawing. Yeah, and this is the, the, the first book that's right now out on Amazon. Is this correct? Or where, where, where can I get this book? Sure, yes, ab absolutely. It's on Amazon. Just look up the Graphic Facilitator's Guide or search my last name, Agerbeck. Yeah, and yep. you will find the book online. Um, yep. And I definitely put a note in the show note um, underneath of the podcast. Awesome. And then, like, when um, I, I think I listened to another um, a podcast, and then you said you, you, the, the second book that you were looking for, The Ideas Shaper, is actually the one that you wanted to write first, right? Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes we have to go <laughs> down the track to do something yeah. we really like. And yeah. um, so... In this idea shaper, you 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 basically want to empower everyone to draw, right? Like exactly, give them the freedom to draw. Tell us more, like about this journey. I know there's the. Um, I was stunned when I looked up on your website and and looked into the Brandy Festo, and uh, let's 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 talk a bit about this. How do we give people permission to to draw? And um, I found this uh, one phrase I really liked, like, there is no right zebra. Maybe we use yes. that as a start. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so the Brandifesto is something that I published. Um, it's almost this time, three years, this time of year. I was just thinking it, it was it was on November. It was it was November 22nd, 2011. So it was 11, 22, Anyway, um, And um, that was really trying to share my ideas about drawing. And the, the story I tell is, you know, I have this very public role drawing and people will come up, come up to me on projects when I'm working as a graphic facilitator and they will come up and they'll tell me exactly what they were drawing, how old they were, and who told them they couldn't draw. So yes. the idea was the teacher comes up to him and says, you know, that zebra is all wrong. And, um, and just like that, it's like a flip, the switch that flips off in their mind and they think I can't draw. That's it. Yes. So, you know, truly the thing that, you know, as much, again, you know, this is what we're talking about. The wanting to write the second book first was, you know, this book, the idea shapers really does get to this idea that I want to help people flip that switch back on. And one of the biggest parts of that is understanding that drawing is both a noun and a verb. And when people think about drawing as a noun, that's like I'm making the zebra and the zebra has to look right. And if it's not drawn right, I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, so that's that's a very product focused way of looking at drawing. And the work that really excites me about drawing, the other half of that definition is drawing as a verb. That's a pro that is it is a process. And happily, you know, I've always loved drawing from my, my imagination. You know, it was it was like, you know, just sort of like a great therapy for me growing up to be able to express my ideas through drawing. And then, you know, like we said, with my story, really, really, really incredibly fortunate to fall into this work using drawing as a facilitation tool. So those are drawing, that's drawing that's process focused. Those drawings tend to be fast and messy. And, um, you know, so the idea is that, you know, when you're focused on drawing as a noun and you're focused on it as an object, you judge it as right or wrong. And there are certain yes. types of drawing that are like that. Like if I was drawing your portrait, you would expect it to have certain attributes and a certain level of refinement so that I recognize it as you. That's, that is the drawing, that is a product focused way of looking at drawing, but that's only part, that's only one definition, that's only one function of drawing. And again, what I'm so excited about was this process-oriented drawing where you're thinking through your own ideas, or in this case, um, 
working with uh, groups of people to help them realize their ideas that, you know, those are those fast, messy drawings. And, and the only judgment of those drawings is do those drawings help you get a step farther in your work? And often, you don't want those images to be refined. It's better that they're kind of loose and messy, because then people feel like they can interact with them and change them. So, you know, that's, if folks look up the Brandifesto, there's a, there's a visual of this, it's called the draw quad. And it's a two by two matrix. And, and you'll see that there's two quadrants, the C and the show quadrant, which are the product focused quadrants. And then there's the think and do quadrants that are the process focused ones. So that's the visual that kind of supports what we're talking about here in the podcast. But, you know, that's what I'm most excited about is helping people understand that, that, you know, you can draw something that's like some basic animal shape with some stripes that works as a zebra. It's okay. (laughs) So, you know, really kind of freeing yourself up to realize that, you know, drawing is much broader than representational drawing. Yeah. And I, um, often people come back to me and say, Hey, Marcel, how do I draw, um, X, Y, Z, let's say a a zebra. And then I I have a, a circle with four sticks underneath and write zebra on top. Like perfect. As an example, (laughs) this is now the new zebra and, uh, it's yours. And, here yeah. it's a gift for you. Please nice. practice it, and they laugh. So they, yeah. they. I think the I, I absolutely love this this drawing quad you have there in in this brandifesto, um, because you can basically say they miss out three quarters of the picture of the exactly. what, what what drawing is about, and they basically um, coming from this 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 product and this this it has to be perfect um, focus yep. and and um, can't. With that, they have a wall on in front of the head to see the other options. So I'm really thankful for for this for this drawing you have there on page number sixteen nice. of your <laughs> brandy festival. So really, um, check this out, guys. Yeah, and and I have a couple of videos describing it too. If you want to see it in video, and I'm expanding on it in the in the idea shapers. It the the book begins with that, and you know, talking specifically about your example of the zebra with the the body and the legs. Like, folks will see this once the second book is finished. But basically, much like I did in the first book, I'm trying to de-emphasize drawing as people narrowly define it. So in the idea shapers, it's a set of visual thinking concepts. Um, like how to use color, how to use line weight, how do you create flow through a drawing? Um, but I separate. So the first 90% of the book is all these things that are about line and color and shape and repetition and contrast and all these sort of general principles of visuals. And only at the very, very, very end do I bundle together the idea of specific imagery. And what I'm trying to do is really show you that that there's all this great work you can do with line and color and, you know, proximity and scale that is still spatial and it's still visual and it's all really, really effective. It could be as simple as drawing circles and arrows and lines. Um, that's all super effective visual thinking that has nothing to do with actually drawing a zebra that looks like a zebra. So, you know, I know that I do have the luxury of coming from a drawing background, but so much of what excites me about this work is more, it's much more diagrammatic. It's much more about making these very simple abstract models that help me understand a concept versus illustration, you know, versus drawing your portrait or drawing the zebra that, you know, you can get an amazing amount of clarity and, you know, really productive thinking done with very simple shapes, things that aren't actually 
icon, you know, aren't actually icons or, or representational. If, if you go into that, like in you, you had somewhere said, I think in your TED talk that you gave the um, point that um, please do more messy drawings. And, yes. And I, I was wondering, like if you meet uh, more like the auditorial sequential thinkers, so there is this, uh, we talk about in a second more, but um, mm -hmm. about the TED talk, but there, there is this, if you more have analytical deep thinkers that are more text driven um, and they see the messy drawing, you might lose them and say, well, that's, that's not serious here. So how do you handle that? How, what do you suggest there when you start now, people get all excited, draw together on a whiteboard, and then um, you miss out maybe the people who need more a cleaner picture. You know what I mean? It's like, I think I know, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, in my experience, it's, it's the analytical thinkers are the ones who actually tend to be more um, receptive to the messy drawing. So for instance, if I come into a graphic facilitation project, I'm thinking of one in particular where it was, it was a group of engineers and they're the folks that, you know, at the beginning of the day, when they introduce me and they see me standing in front of a giant piece of paper and I'm holding markers, you know, they're the folks who, you know, at the, you know, 8am when we start or 9am, they're the ones looking at me sideways, like, I don't know about this. But then <laughs> yes. yeah. by the first break, you know, those are the folks coming up to me going, Oh, I love what you're doing because it's about process, because it's about the ideas. Like they can see that it's not about pretty pictures, which, you know, is my least favorite thing is when I can tell, you know, a group has hired me because they want me to be the shiny toy. <laughs> But mm -hmm. It's like they just don't understand the power of the visuals past, oh, she's going to draw us a picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But really, it's a lot of times it's the um, because what we're doing is listening to what they're saying and then reflecting it back to them, they immediately see the power of it. So um, in my experience, as long as you're getting the content and that's, you know, in my first book, that's, I think product process over product and content is king, you know, I think are the two biggest messages in that book. And, um, you know, the, that when you are, especially in the role of being a facilitator, a graphic facilitator, You know, your role is capturing that content and reflecting it back to them. Um, so again, I think in my experience, it's not, you know, obviously I am the person with experience there. Um, so I, I am, I'm making drawings that represent their content that are organized. But in my case, especially if you look around to, um, you know, across the field, I think a lot of my drawings, they look They look confident, but they're also kind of messy and they're kind of open-ended. And again, I tend to make drawings for my clients that are much more about diagrams than illustrations. Um, but I think that's what gets to that sense of, you know, it's a working document. It's not a beautiful artifact. It's this, it's this drawing, it's large scale drawing that's happening in front of them as they work out their ideas. So I'm yes. not quite sure I answered your question, but. Yeah, I think I think you did. And okay. um, with the like to emphasize this messy drawings a bit more, I really like to point this out. This is the this is the trick. And for me, I I when I started with with um, graphic facilitation, I also work as a team coach. Mm -hmm. So I, when I when I started doing graphic recordings, for example, for an all hands meeting at the companies, um, I actually put myself into a corner of um, that they came to me and said, can you draw that for me? And ah, I did a couple yes. of videos. So you become the expert, you become the bottleneck yep. that you actually try yep. to dissolve and empower people by drawing together. And I've 
um, stopped basically of all the I really like this like passion of uh, getting a bit creative and draw a mm -hmm. nice thing but it gets in the way when you want to pass on the pen yes it's yeah, really yeah when I worked at Ernst & Young you know the third day we'd be working as they're you know in their at their act phase of that process they'd be working in teams in parallel and so there'd be in these breakout groups and that was one of those things where somebody would say oh we need a tiger drawn you know, and they'd say, grab Brandy. And, you know, that would be a time where I'd come in and I'd be like, okay, why do you want a tiger drawn? Like, of course, I'm there to serve the group. But, you know, I don't want to draw, I don't want to, I don't want them to shift away from their process to get really fixated on the product of drawing a tiger. Um, or other times where they needed help visualizing their process. And it was more important that they did it for themselves it's a, it's a tricky thing. It's like, you know, you don't want to become the bottleneck and you don't want to become the person who's making these, you know, more refined drawings because that's not what it's about. Like, you know, in the TED Talk, my example is um, uh, two, I have two flip chart stands side by side. And um, I talk about as you're, as you're working with people and you're working with drawing, I say, watch what you reward. I might be in an event where, you know, there's six breakout groups doing work and then they come back to share their flip charts. And one group has made a flip chart that's very beautiful. Yes. Yes. But they haven't really done any work. Yes. And then there's another group where the flip chart's super messy, but you can tell they were really working out some ideas. So, you know, my advice is always, you know, like don't, don't reward the pretty drawing if, if they haven't done the work. So a lot of times if somebody comes, they, they want to grab me as, you know, I'm the quote unquote expert. I'm like, well, now I've become much more savvy to say, you know, it's really important that you do this work for yourself. If you need, you know, if you have any specific questions, let me know. And then I might like your example of drawing the zebra, I might show them how to draw a zebra. Um, but it really is about for, it's really about them thinking for themselves. And unfortunately, because, you know, we still, we, because we have such a product focused culture, you know, it's hard to, to, um, it's, to let it's go. It's hard. It's hard to let go, and it's yeah. and it's so important for us to really point out and and reward that messy stuff that's getting stuff done. Yes. Yeah. And so, guys, when you listen to that, and you're still worried that uh, you don't have the permission to do a messy drawing, I recommend you go to the end of the Brandy Festo, and there is on page 18 the permission to draw signed <laughs> yes. by Brandy, and yep. you put your name in. I, Brandy Eckerberg, give you, and then you put um, Stephen Miller in permission to draw. So if you had to wait for anything, then print this out and put it next to your desk as a reminder. It's, Absolutely. I think, a great thing what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Let, let's let's deep dive a bit into this uh, TED Talk. Like, mm -hmm. for me, TED Talks are, um, wow, TED Talks. <laughs> <laughs> how how was it? Like, give you a bit of background. How, how um, you got asked to do that? Like, how, what happened? That's like <laughs> so, the background story of the TED Talk. Sure. Yeah. So this is, um, so just to, just to be particular about it, um, the TED conference is the big, you know, the big main conference. And then I, what I was, what I did was I spoke at TEDx Windy City. So anytime you hear TEDx, that means that's a local event. And, um, yeah, this was a matter of, um, I knew Shannon Downey, the woman organizing TEDx Windy City. This was in the spring of 2013. And, um, 
You know, this is something that I use TED Talks when I'm training folks. And, you know, as a graphic facilitator, I'm sure this is your experience too. You know, sometimes we're, we're mapping out internal strategy meetings, but often we're also, we're also asked to uh, map out presentations. So we get like the best education on speaking. You know, who's, cl- who's clear, who's unstructured, you know, who's passionate, who like is just a big mess on stage, because we're the ones who are responsible for making it look like something on a piece of paper, you know, yes. off to the side. So, um, you know, so Ted, you know, the tagline is ideas worth sharing. And I think it is really fantastic at that. Um, I think that, you know, there is sort of this weird mystique around it. I think when you actually get down to watching a lot of TED Talks, you'll see that there's a huge variety in quality <laughs> of the actual speakers or even, you know, the ideas they're trying to get across. So, um, of course, being a student of this, you know, when I, I applied to speak at TEDx Windy City and um, their requirement was you had to do, I think it was a one minute video about what you want to talk about. And boy, howdy. If you have to distill what you're saying down to one minute, that is a really good test. It might have been yes. two minutes, but still, it's like super brief. And um, and then they chose from there. But, you know, I, again, being a student of this, of this medium and this format, you know, I was going to do my letter best to, you know, make the most of that opportunity. And I can tell you, I was really lucky. Um, I had the production team and Shannon, the, they were amazing. One thing that's happened with friends of mine who have done TED, TEDx talks is the quality varies wildly of the, mm-hmm. of the events and the production side. So, you know, I'm super, super thankful that, you know, I put, I, I did everything I could from my side to give a good speech, but then, really lucky that, you know, it was well lit, it was well recorded, we had a great audience. So I'm really proud to then also have that video, be able to be able to share that video past the 700 people who were in the room that day. But I can tell you, it's the the, the actual what happens behind the scenes with TEDx's are a lot less glamorous than you think. <laughs> so don't destroy my world. I really I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, if you haven't seen that, it's really like um, Brandy is drawing live on stage two flip shots. And uh, the, the title is called Shape Your Thinking with Brandy mm-hmm. Adderbeck at Tex, uh, TEDx Windy City. So have a look it up and it's really, really nice. Thank you. Um, and you, you, you pointed out there um, in your in its TEDx talks two two things like the there is the sneezy green person in the middle. Oh yeah. Can we dig into that for a second? Sure thing. Um, <laughs> so um, the theme of that day, you know, every every TEDx event has a theme, and that day's theme was contrast. And I was trying to think, like, I know I want to talk about drawing as a thinking tool, but what the heck is my, you know, how am I going to bring contrast into this? Yeah. And then I I learned about a woman named Barbara Krieger Silverman or Krieger. Pardon me, I, I don't actually I've never said her name or known exactly how to say her name, but I don't she was tell a, her. What's that? I don't tell her. It's fine. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, what she did was she studied kids and you know, um, and how they learned, and she came up with a beautifully simple model. So you know, I'm a big fan of multiple of of uh, you know learning styles and multiple intelligences. I think those are useful models to understand that 
that people have different strengths. Somebody might be very, um, like, for instance, most people think I'm a very visual thinker because I make drawings, but, you know, more so I'm a very kinesthetic learner. I've always learned with my hands. And that's one of the things I love about my work is that, you know, it's physical and it's large scale and I'm moving my body. Um, but in her model, she broke it down into um, two types of learners, auditory sequential and visual spatial. And um, auditory sequential students are um, more text-based. They learn step-by-step. They like learning from specific instructions. Uh, Visual spatial learners, they tend to learn things all at once. You know, if they're asked to show their work, they're like, "I, I just know it because it sort of comes at them all as one whole picture. Um, audio, audio, audio sequential learners, um, they are really good with facts and um, visual spatial thinkers are more comfortable with sort of the, the patterns between the facts or the possibilities. Um, if you know Myers-Briggs, I see this model being very similar to the intuitive versus sensing, the second dichotomy in Myers-Briggs. Um, but what I liked about it was it was a very simple... Uh, model that in in her in her work she found out that I think it ended up being I'm not going to get the numbers quite right because I haven't looked at them in a while but I think it was 63% of folks of students that she studied were either strongly visual spatial visual spatial or leaning towards it so I think it was like 30 33% were strongly and 30 yes. were um, do you have it in front of you yeah, I think yeah. I, well, I watched it yesterday and you, you were talking yeah. about 37 and 63 percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, right. So, so it turns out that two, almost two thirds of people are visual spatial learners and only about one third are auditory sequential. But again, like we were saying earlier, so much of our work and the way we learn is based around text and is based, based about around, you know, step by step learning. So, you know, this has just always been the way I was, I personally was wired. And I'm so thankful that it just happened that growing up, I had teachers who let me redesign assignments and made them more visual and made them more hands on. Like, you know, if I could turn my friend, um, Larissa said, you know, if I can any, I can solve anything, or I can learn anything, if I could turn it into a craft project, <laughs> you know, and that was the kind of learner I was as a kid. So, you know, I use that idea in the in the TED Talk, you know, again, to show that idea of contrast. So think about the auditory sequential people. They're the more text-based. They're the more linear. In my model, I say those are the folks who like libraries. So they might be more book learners. And the folks who are, who are um, visual spatial, those are folks who tend to be more hands-on and they like laboratories. And so to quickly get over the idea of splitting people into one thing or the other, I talked about how do we create um, a blend of these two things? Like how do we create lib labs that are a combination of libraries and laboratories? And visually, if you watch the TED Talk, um, the I use blue as a background color for the auditory sequential learners, and I use yellow as a background for the visual spatial learners. So the idea is they overlap into how can you be that snazzy green person in the middle that's using the best of both sides. So again, I think we have a tendency to say, well, I'm this kind of learner, but not that kind of learner. Well, technically, we're all a little bit of everything, but we have our strengths. So I think, again, because we've had such a blue culture that's very linear and text-based and auditory, how do we start pulling people towards the green and towards the yellow because i think there's so much we can do with those kind of tools 
and you actually like you reach a, a wider audience, right? You, you, Absolutely. If you do, if you combine both worlds, you 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 stick much better together. And it's much better and much easier to collaborate. Yeah, Brandy, I'm also a, a father of a nine-year-old daughter, and nice. the the um, for me. When you, when you talked about this education, different types of learning, this is for me a, a big concern, like to, to make sure, like I recently, like uh, quite often I asked, like, so what have you drawn today in this at school? Mm -hmm. So what, what have you, um, and what, what could we give, like, what uh, can we say to, to other parents who have children to emphasize the, like, we, we emphasize the importance of, of. Uh, drawing and, 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 and at school that it is not um, connected with this negative connotation of I can't draw and then does it never uh, get destroyed on the way and then you need to come to Brandy or to my class and then you need to reactivate your drawing skills like let's stop there and right. and get this that it never that people never stop drawing and use this as a thinking tool what they used to in school it's like my question is basically are my my How can we maybe a couple of ideas we share with other parents to make sure that the education, um, that the schools um, see the value and, and see the um, give permission to the kids to doodle whenever they like in school? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a very tricky question because I think there's what you can do when you're working with your daughter or you're asking her about her work is, you know, there's sort of what, what you can do with your kids, but there's also, you know, what extent can you have the conversation with, with their teachers? Um, I think some of it, you know, the way my brain's going about three different directions right now, because this is something, you know, that I care so much about myself. And, and I think education is, you know, I would, again, I was super lucky. I just happen to have the right kind of teachers who, who just let me do my own thing, you know, like, and I was also, You know, it worked because I was an independent kid who wasn't disruptive. But, you know, there's so many people who they just didn't get that easy of a path. So they're always kind of fighting against that. So I think part of it is, you know, even if you're, you know, for instance, if you're, if your daughter's given an assignment to write a paper, um, maybe what's going to happen is she might draw things out, you know, like our idea of, of circles and lines and words and kind of mixing them all together in sort of a diagram. She might do something like that to help work out her own ideas behind the scenes to help her get towards the paper assignment she has to hand in. So I think some of the stuff can be sort of the subversive thing of, you know, what are you doing behind the scenes to help you get your own work done, even if she might have a teacher who says, no, you have to write a paper. So that's part of it is kind of like what you can do on your own. I think, um, I think aside from that, it is a matter of, you know, do you talk to the teacher and say, you know, my daughter is really great at thinking through this way. Is it possible that she hands in, you know, a sketch note or a mind map of this versus the paper? Like, would that work? Do you, you know, would you, should, should, could she demonstrate that she's learned these ideas in a different way? Like that was why I was lucky enough to be able to do this was, um, again, I wasn't disruptive. And usually I was making more work for myself. <laughs> so my teachers are like, all right, if she wants to do twice the work, <laughs> go ahead. But because I was also demonstrating the learning. So um, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm not a parent, I haven't been in these exact shoes, but I'm hoping that the more people sort of stand up for, you know, the ways they work the best, at least then folks will be like, oh, okay, wait, I got to think about this differently. Um, Can I tell you a quick story about a woman who came up to me after yes. TEDx? Please. Yeah, I was um, 
you know, I was still kind of on the high, you know, because of course, I'd spent months rehearsing this. And, and I was the first speaker that morning. And what one thing I was so happy with was Noylin donated these wonderful kits of markers and um, little notepads that had my my models from the talk in them. And so everyone was given the tools that morning to then use through the rest of, uh, of that day. And um, so I, you know, I, I'm on the first break and, you know, I'm kind of like going through the crowds and I'm just kind of like, you know, high on the adrenaline of the experience. <laughs> and this woman comes up to me and she is, she's just kind of like, like a little bit like a deer in the headlights. Like she's kind of like, and she comes up to me and she starts telling me this story. And it took me a while to kind of, you know, understand what she was saying. But basically the gist of it was she thinks spatially, she thinks visually. So when she does her work, um, and if I remember correctly, it was work with so- work with um, some kind of software design. So when she works, she creates charts that are boxes and arrows. And, you know, to me, that makes perfect sense. You know, you're talking about process and how does one step lead into another? Like, of course, boxes and arrows. Um, but she w- would continually bump heads with her boss, who would kind of like look into her office and be like, oh, why is she drawing again? You know, and she... And she would just have to say to him, you know, I know you don't get this. You will get the document you want. You know, you will get the text-based thing you want down the road. But this is how I work. And one day she came home and uh, she saw, I think it was her son, um, was doing the same thing where he was arranging blocks and like a- assigning meaning to the different blocks and what they meant and lining them up. And it was just this like, you know, this moment of realization that, yeah, that's the way her mind and body works. That's the way her son's mind and body works. And, you know, in her case with her work, she had to say, you know, you know, I understand to her boss, I understand that this isn't the way you work, but let me work this way. You know, again, that's kind of that example of, um, I want people to work to their strengths. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing. It just happens that my strengths are visual tools. So that's Mm -hmm. what I write about. But, you know, I, I wish for a world where, you know, people can people can find their own tools and find their own ways that works in the ways that they work best. Um, and it may be that that's what you have to do kind of behind the scenes. And then you end up doing sort of the assignment as written, if that makes sense. Um, but I just love that story because it was a matter of her, her being strong and stubborn in this is the way I work. And, um, and then recognizing that like, wow, that's, that's exactly what works for her son too. And I think this woman, she's quite strong, right? Yeah. I think there are other people who will just say, oh, yeah, maybe I should learn this and should find my way to write, uh, think in text, and then they miss out. Yeah. <clears throat> the whole the whole um, creativity in their thinking with their kinesthetic or visual way. So there's a real, um, I think this woman is, is a great example of, of keeping your way, like sticking to your way you work best and, and, and um thinking that's like thinking this way right yep and and with the sun there it's like what i what i think that we need to give um um, hand over to the parents is like make sure you figure out the best way your child learns yep and insist that it is there's not only one way which is when um, auditorial sequential maybe in in school and it's and it's now there are many ways, at least the visual spatial world and whole universe of how you can learn and um, make sure that your kid doesn't miss the boat there, right? It's like Absolutely. Being, yeah, it's really, really great story you shared. Thanks for Thank that. You. And I think there's, you know, I can completely empathize with teachers that, you know, how I understand that there is an ease in picking one modality to teach in. 
you know, that, that, you know, we do, I do understand why things have been so text-based because just when you think about distributing information, the easiest way was to print things in text and make books. <laughs> like, I, I get that. So I do empathize that as a teacher, you're like, wow, how do I teach to all these different modalities? I think part of it is, you know, like, like, I'm so appreciative that you mentioned explicitly talked about that giving permission idea, you know, that one page in the Brandifesto is some of it's just giving people permission and see what they do with it. So, you know, I don't think a teacher has to be an expert on every single um, type of learning style, but that, you know, at least it's just a matter of being open to say, you know what, I don't quite get how this student is working out their ideas, but if it's working for them, I will, you know, I'll be receptive to that. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I think I need to say something about the schools. I think they have also changed a lot. Like, um, yes. I, I, I like to speak with teachers around this and I, friends of mine are teachers and uh, today's schools are not the same school who have created this, like, I can't draw a situation in the society. Absolutely. Um, they are much more open. They have learning um, ideas. They have le like pretty much like, um, like lib labs in school where they can have, have books next to the people who, who um, like play with paper and, and build stuff. So there's a, yep. um, I, 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 this is like a very small story. What, what I uh, experienced, like I struggle often to explain my uh, beautiful wife, which mm -hmm. very much an auditorial sequential thinker. And mm -hmm. um, what I try to do at my work, like in, in, I'm a business transformation coach in the past, an agile coach and, and also a graphic facilitator. Yep. And when we walked into the first evening at the primary school of my daughter and we saw all the different stations where they uh, basically learn in little islands and walk around mm. to the different stations and have all this creative material around and say, so I turn companies into that here. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the, the whole... Um, variation of, of what, what, ways you can learn and ways you can collaborate and, and work it's like it's much bigger than just text and books absolutely yeah. and i'm really thankful that you you brought up that idea or you you shared that that this is this is shifting and again this is what i'm saying about you know we are becoming more visual culture and you know by all means i'm not trying to make anyone out to be the enemy and that was part of the idea of the snazzy green people in the ted talk the the space in between is you know it's not a binary it's not one thing or the other so thank yes. you, thank you for definitely sh sharing that you know it isn't you know it's not like you're going to be you know smacked with a ruler on the knuckles if you're trying to draw like it's that's not where we're at anymore but you know how can we actually give people more and more tools to be able to understand how visual thinking really works so they can, you know, make the most of it? Um, one thing I, I think about, like what we talked about, the different ways you think and the different take you create ideas. This all, I think, if I'm right, flows into your new book, which is the Ideas Shapers, right? Yep. And let, let's look a bit more into, in, in, into that upcoming book that, um, is on Kickstarter right now and you I put a link in the show note to this book like give us a bit of background where are you in this process and and um, when is it released <laughs> you asked the hardest question <laughs> and I did it on purpose <laughs> no thanks um, so if folks watch the TEDx talk um, again it's called shape your thinking like you said and you'll have a link to it 
um, the middle section of the book. So the first section of the, or the middle section of the talk, um, is this, this five step model using a hand. So the beginning, I talk about the contrast between the library folks and the laboratory folks. And then the middle section, I'm going through a five step process, um, that helps you put your thinking in your own hands. And that is really the core of what the idea shapers is about. Um, and just to finish up the thought, the third section is how to create these spaces where the two things come together in the Ted talk. So the idea shapers, um, it is called the idea shapers, the power of putting your thinking in your own hands. And it walks people through, um, these five steps. And the first step is, um, chunking, finding useful chunks of information. So if you imagine that you've got some big task in front of you and um, how the heck are you going to tackle all this information you need to go through, the first thing is finding one useful chunk and pulling it out and putting it on a new surface. So it's that simple idea of you're taking something and finding out what's relevant and important to what your task is and, and pulling it out. Now this is this, this part tends to be the most text-based part of the process, but that's sort of pulling out what are the useful chunks. That's step number one. Step number two is once you got a pile of chunks, it's sorting and grouping those, those chunks into different categories and finding different patterns. And um, step number three is around um, making connections between ideas and putting containers around ideas to help show what the different relationships are. And as I talk about one, two, three, you know, and I'll, tell you about the four and the five, they're not sequential. They're often things that all kind of happen at once. Again, those visual spatial folks, you know, they sort of picture things. Um, it's not, it's not step by step. So, you know, don't take me too literally on that, but that's, you know, I'm sort of explaining the five pieces. The fourth step is um, scale. And one is, what is the scale of the canvas you're working on? So if you work on a really, really large canvas like we do as graphic facilitators, you've got a really big space that can handle a lot of complexity and you can expand on ideas and have many levels of information. Or conversely, you can choose to draw on a teeny tiny piece of paper. Like imagine if you were trying to explain an idea on a postage stamp, you know, that really forces you to consolidate and distill what you're thinking. And the other way you use scale is scale between the, the relative scale between ideas. So this is the idea of hierarchy and having, you know, main ideas be big and supporting ideas being smaller. And those are the first four steps. So those are actually your, your, your four fingers. So chunk is your index finger. Sort and group is your second finger. The, um, connect and contain is the ring finger and your pinky is scale, the little guy. And then when you step back and you've done these four things, that gives you a chance to do the fifth step, which is a thumb and that's grasp. So when you use these visual tools and you're able to work through these different steps, um, you're able to look at your information or your project in a new way. So that grasp step is really about synthesis and coming up with new images that summarize, like creating uh, visual models of your work or, you know, creating some kind of summary. Um, so those are kind of the, the five, that's kind of the auditory version of the five steps. So in the book, what I do is, I begin talking about the draw quad again, because I really want to help people understand the idea of process focused drawing. And then the bulk of the book goes through those five steps. Now, each of those five steps has a number of idea shapers. For instance, in the chunk set step, there are four idea shapers. The first one is defining your objective. The second and third are 
two reliable choices on what kind of um, format you work in. One is the landscape, so drawing all your ideas onto one single sheet of paper. And uh, the other one is the stack. Um, that's working modularly. So if you're working on index cards or post-it notes. And then the fourth one in that section, the fourth idea shaper is called the retort. Um, if folks have read the graphic facilitator's guide, that's a lot like the distill chapter. Um, it's about how do you condense and refine the language you're going to put on your charts. So over the course of those five steps, there's about 25 very specific idea shapers. And those are very specific visual thinking concepts. What I'm trying to do is break it down so somebody can go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work and practice on this one particular piece. Like it might be the spectrum, which is about color or, um, uh, something like the anchor, which is like when you're working on a drawing, have a central hub that you're, you're building your ideas off of. So each one is like a specific concept, but each one of those are helping you understand what's, what's the connection between, the way your brain is thinking and organizing the information, and then how do you visually represent that on a piece of paper? And uh, like I said earlier with the zebra idea, all of those idea shapers are independent of pictures. They're not about drawing icons. They're about, again, about color and shape and line and finding those patterns um, and showing those patterns and showing those connections. Um, so that's kind of the the structure of what the idea shapers is. Um, I don't think I've seen any book that, that really breaks down visual thinking in that way. A lot of times they're, they are about how to draw something pictorially. Um, and, you know, so that's, I'm really excited about that. Um, and <laughs> yeah. when is it done? Ah. Um, <laughs> I can tell you with the we, first we book. Can, we, we come to yeah. that uh, in in a second when it's done. But um, yeah. let me let me recap what I what I what I what I got. Like first, right. this this having this chunk and putting one information out of this this huge information pool you might have. Yep. And for me, this is this is feels like a relief. Like you, you just have to start somewhere and pick yep. pick a thing out of that and put it up on the wall. So it actually is a relief because yes. I, I just start somewhere and I just put it on a fresh, clean canvas, like on a, with a post-it note, for example. Yep. And it is the beginning, right? So it's 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 part of the this whole process. I give you like for me, where really when I read through um, your your structure of that, I really resonated so much with me. And I didn't had it pointed out to myself so clearly. I I used those similar techniques, but I, it's like I hadn't uh, really thought that through in this way. And, Absolutely. Um, so for example, I I'm, I'm preparing currently, and and I would I'm a traveler. I really like to travel and see the world. And I and I I'm preparing an overland vehicle, and I'm preparing a trip through China. Nice. And and it's not the easiest thing to do. And, and yeah. when I sit there, and it's like, why I'm heck I'm starting now. I have Googled for thirty hours or so like I have so many yeah. post-its but it's 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 cluttered it's like and then to pick one and and and, and then um, isolate this idea out of that pick it up bring it up on the wall and then group it into pr um, like problem patterns or like yes. something was for me so it's useful to do and then like you start seeing connections between those things right Absolutely, and and I really I like get you get your three like the, this are the if I'm right the first three steps in this in this process. Yep, yeah, exactly, exactly, and I think it is things that people do very naturally. Yes, um, yeah. and they don't realize that 
they have that aptitude because again, you know, when people think that drawing is is drawing something representational, you know, drawing that zebra, they don't realize that this is the way a lot of us work naturally. So, you know, that's a great example of, you know, you're naturally doing that. And I think that's the biggest thing is there is a lot of relief. <laughs> there is a lot of like reducing feeling yeah. overwhelmed. You know, just I, I say that one of the the most effective things about this work is, you know, I talk about the properties and the powers of drawing. This happens in the introduction right before the draw quad. And, you know, one of it is that it's one of the biggest things and it sounds so simple is drawing is tangible. It's taking the stuff that's rolling around in your head and putting it on a piece of paper. And that's like, that's like the biggest relief. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yes. I mean, it works for me. Like I'll get, I'll get really caught up in my own ideas. And a lot of times it's a matter of just sitting down with a piece of paper. And once you start pulling them out of your head and getting them on the paper, you realize like it's not as complex as you thought. Or, you know, wow, that was the same 20 things going around in my head, you know, just 200 times. So, yes. you know, I appreciate your story because I think it is just, you know, there's that beautiful act of getting that post-it note up there and then getting a bunch of post-it notes up there. And it might feel like clutter, but then once you sort of step back and you start grouping things, you know, then it then it takes a whole new shape. And that's, you know, that's the idea of shapers. Yes. And, and when like the next two steps where you're bringing them into a, um, some kind of, 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 of template or like you bring them, what is this distill and scale about? Oh, um, so the fourth step is, is yep. scale. So that's just a matter of working with, with um, for instance, in your, in your example, you were talking about using post-it notes. So that was um, using small pieces, but then the being able to move them around and then um, and then the relative scale of ideas. So if you were going to then take those post-it notes and maybe create a summary of um, what you were doing with this trip, you know, you might have things like um, themes uh, drawn larger and the details underneath it. Like if you have one place you want to go and you might have that large and then draw the details underneath it in a, in just smaller text. Gotcha. Um, yeah. and then the fifth one is the grasping. So, you know, that's sort of like, you might look at that, at that collection of your post-it notes for your trip and realize, wow, you know, I never realized that I was going on this trip because I wanted to discover, I don't know what, you know, like there might be some new, completely new understanding that once you step back from it and you've sort of like done this organizational work, you realize, you know, realize something about that that you didn't know before. Great. Yes. Now it's really connects now. Like, so when I, when, when I like read through your start, uh, Kickstarter and, and, yes. and you, you, your updates on, on this, uh, when is it like, what do you do? When is it done? Where's the first pages? And, um, it resonated so much with me, with the way that I work. So I tell you, maybe you you correct me if I if I'm completely in the blind and it's not the way you mm -hmm. work. But for me, um, make myself accountable and mm -hmm. make myself um, um, accountable to others is actually a quite way that I can push myself a bit uh, yep. because I do something for others. It helps me to um to to get started and to finish and yep. and i i was wondering whether you're the same person uh, how do you work how do you be effective as as an author and that was definitely a big impetus to do the kickstarter campaign so um what happened was in january 
I thought, okay, now is the time to finally finish up, finish this book, get it out in the world. And part of it is, you know, like I said about the transition in my own professional life is I'm just so excited to get out there and do more speaking and teaching. And this book is the backbone is the linchpin of what I'll be teaching. So, um, you know, I got all this great stuff I want to work on, but I need the book to be done. So, you know, definitely there was the idea of let's use a Kickstarter campaign. I love the format. Of course, the crowdfunding part of it's great, but it's really the idea of, you know, these are the folks who are, who are, you know, ready and raring for this book. Now, what I've learned <laughs> is I really... I I made the assumption that the second book was going to be like the first book. You know, the 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 first book I wrote in three months and edited it and laid it out in six weeks. Like the whole thing was done in basically under five months. And um, this book is a whole different animal. It's a it's about a process that's so much more internal. So part of it is, it's just. I was wrong about the time it was going to take to finish the book. Also, I tend to think really abstractly and really conceptually. And very soon, it was actually, I think, during the time the Kickstarter campaign was running, I realized, oh, wow, I can't be this abstract. One thing I have to do is each time I talk about one of these specific idea shapers, like the retort, um, talking about text or like the anchor, I need to share a story that illustrates those ideas. And that ended up making it a much bigger project and a bigger book than I expected. Um, and, and unfortunately, part of my equation is I've just been having some lousy health problems this year. So I can tell you that I'm about 325 pages in. The previous book was 300 pages. Um, so there's a lot there and there's definitely still pieces to fill in. Um, but as much as I'm frustrated and stressed and I'm sure folks are like, come on already, we want the book. Um, you know, the work is happening and I've absolutely promised that the book, I won't rush the book. The book has to be done well the first time. So, um, I'm hoping that really, you know, I love hibernating during the winter. Like I love that it's getting cooler here in Chicago and, um, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm really ready and I'm, I'm, whenever I show people the physical draft, they're like, oh my gosh, it's almost done. And it is almost done, except for all the stuff that I see that still needs to be done. So um, I can't give you a concrete date, but I can let you know that, you know, I am as eager for the book as you are, if not more so. Um, because as wonderful as the Kickstarter platform is, you know, now I feel terrible that, you know, I've got almost 300 people, you know, saying, hey, hun, where's the book? <laughs> so um, I'll definitely, you know, if people want Kickstarter advice some other time, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. But um <laughs> So yeah, it, it is but, actually very close, but you know there's still there's still important well, work to be finished. Well, I think that that's also that you are after something great, after something big there. And yeah. it, um, um, I listen to other podcasts, for example, uh, Jonathan Field with the Good Life Project, and uh, he mm -hmm. interviews a lot of like um, authors, and and he they, when they are when they after something big, like that takes maybe a life, right? Or it takes like yeah. ten years, yeah. and they they distill it, and so. Um, that that definitely needs this time to 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 be like digested over and over again to yep. to really think through and, and that actually uh, creates then the whole um, like awesomeness of, of of a book like this yeah and so take your time please I, sure, I feel now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the thing is, and I know this sounds really grandiose or might sound pompous, but you know, given who I am and how I'm wired and the experience I've had personally with drawing and professionally as a graphic facilitator, you know, I really feel like this book, The Idea Shapers, was you know the reason I was put on this planet. So I know that sounds like enormous and you know maybe sounds 
whatever. But, you know, that's that's part of the equation, too, is it is big. It is big. Yeah. And I really, you know, I'm really excited that I think that for so many folks who do work this way, it'll be a really fantastic tool for them to make what they do understand what they do more explicitly and be able to practice it more thoroughly. So again, like you said, with your example, or, you know, the way your daughter works, um, these, these are very natural processes that aren't encouraged. And I'm really excited that this book will really help bring them to the forefront and make them transparent, so that folks can be like, yeah, I got it. Or I didn't get that part, but I'm going to put that, you know, I'm going to start using, you know, these, these ideas that are less familiar in my work, so they can have you know, a much more well-rounded way of um, of thinking visually and, again, you know, using drawing. It's a fantastic tool. Awesome. Great. Um, Brandy, maybe as the final, this podcast is like how visualization changes learning and collaboration and thinking. Yes. Um, where do we head over the next 10 years? Can mm. just do a shot into the blue and um, <laughs> where are we going? That's a great question. What I hope we're doing is that, and I do see this, um, that, you know, looking back at 20 years specifically as a graphic facilitator, so much of my work, you know, and granted it's, you know, it's what's given me a career. So much of the work has been find the expert to do the thing. And it was, you know, what you said with your example of, you know, people wanting you to draw for them and becoming the bottleneck in the process. Um, I definitely believe that, we will, it, it'll be less about an expert coming in and doing the work and more about people, groups of people learning the tools together. And, um, and I think that it's a matter of those experts, the, the person who's sort of like the content keeper or the expert shifting into more teaching roles and more coaching roles and more facilitation roles. Um, I know it's hard because, you know, especially if you're the expert and your ego is tied up into being, you know, the one person who can do this well. Um, you know, there's some, there's something, some things that are difficult about that. But I, you know, again, our world is getting more and more complex. The culture is getting more and more visual. So, you know, I, I do believe that where we're headed is people, people might not be doing the, the, using the tools to the same level as an expert would. But again, it's that encouraging the fast and messy drawings, encouraging folks to, you know, just get something down on paper and then respond to it. Um, so I think that, you know, of course, I'd love to see, you know, these things taught more explicitly when folks are younger, or if nothing else, just not discouraged when people naturally do it. But um, I think it's, um, I think it's exactly, you know, obviously, it's the thing I love, and it's the way I work. But you know, in over the past 20 years, I've seen how much things are shifting, and how much more receptive, receptive people are to it. It's just a matter of, what kind of roles are you and I and our colleagues going to take to help people use these tools for themselves? Yes, makes perfect sense. Like really like this, this being a facilitator, being a co-creator, being like exactly. this, this person who helps um, to enable people to think like it's the problems for the, of this world are just too big for one brain. Exactly. Um, I think there was an awesome conversation. So thank you so much, Brandy, You're very for, welcome for this this podcast and um so what do you do after that after hanging out what do you do today what do i do today uh what do i do today actually i get to um i go downtown to meet a couple colleagues and friends for work and it's great because they're actually kind of nerds about visual thinking too so 
it's a theme of the day. Um, so yeah, I, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great day. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm definitely, you know, in my happy zone. Um, one thing, like when you just said about, um, meeting at the pub, where mm -hmm. else can we meet you? Please like be like, I think you are on Twitter or how can we, how can people get can connect with you? Sure. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so if you go to loosetooth.com, that's my main website. And on the page, on the homepage, you'll see icons for the different social media platforms I'm on. Um, they tend to shift over time. Like right now I'm, I'm doing more with my YouTube channel after it being kind of quiet for a while. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, you know, the easiest thing is again, just go to loosetooth.com. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the home base. And, yeah. uh, you know, I absolutely, I love social media. I was a blogger for seven years. You know, that was back when you had a blog and everyone came to you. And now the whole model is flipped that, you know, you go out you know, on all these platforms and connect with other folks. But, um, and one thing I'm totally like, this is, I can't, I've had to stop myself from doing this, but there's going to be boards upon boards for once the idea shapers is done, I'm creating a Pinterest board for each of the concepts. So I can collect illustrations of those ideas and i'm a huge pinterest fan so i'm like brandy stop it with the pinterest like keep on writing but that's you know that's on that's probably my my favorite platform is is pinterest because it lets you curate and collect images and um but you know you can find me in a lot of different corners online cool so then again thank you very much and uh enjoy the evening in chicago i think you are right i will absolutely yes. thank you all right then thank you very much and have a nice day cool super Hey guys, I really enjoy talking to Brandy. I learned heaps and I think maybe if you spend until here in the conversation, maybe it was useful for you as well. If that's true, um, maybe jump over on iTunes and leave us a comment and share this conversation with your friends, your mates at work. Um, that really helps us to um, reach a wider audience and um, inspire others to start drawing. Additionally, if you like to meet Brandy, that's actually possible. She runs a three-day immersion, a three-day lab where you can work with her together. She runs a winter lab and a summer lab. And here are the dates. The winter lab will be in February the 10th to the 12th, 2016. And the summer lab will be in July the 25th to 27th, both in Chicago. And you can find further details on her website, uh, loosetooth.com slash lab. L-A-B, loosetooth.com slash lab and you find all the details there. If you don't want to travel to Chicago or maybe you're not in the US, then I recommend if you're in Europe, you check out bicablo.com and this website, you find the training program of the Picablo Academy where we teach visual facilitation. If you're in Australia or New Zealand, then hop on my website, it's marcelvanhof.com. I run monthly trainings as well. Have a great rest of the week. And see you soon. Bye.